come before our God with prayer of confession, knowing that we fall short every day and that we need to confess to our God our sins and our failures and the promises that he'll forgive us for all our sins and cleanse us from unrighteousness. Let's confess together now our sins before Almighty God. Our Father in heaven, your name is the most sacred name in all eternity. We confess and seek your forgiveness for the times we have said it in vain. We admit that we have often prayed for your kingdom to come and your will to be done, but we have not always meant it. There have been times we have wanted our will to be done and for you to get with the program to make it happen. We confess our lack of trust in your all-knowing mind and gracious kindness for our future. We believe, Lord, but help us in the moments of doubt and unbelief. All this we pray in the precious blood of Jesus that washes these and all our other sins away. Amen. Then we hear the wonderful promise that John gives us from his epistle. My dear children, I am writing this to you so that you may you will not sin, but if anyone does sin, he has an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is a sacrifice that atones for our sins, not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. And then we're told how to live and given guidelines and living a good life for him. And we can be sure that we know him and we obey his commandments. If someone claims, I know God, and doesn't obey God's commandments, that person is a liar and that's living in the truth. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. That is how we know we are living in him. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. Let's continue our worship, and if you can, please stand. If not, enjoy yourself and sit and sing with us also.
background on the next song. Father in heaven, we thank you for you being such a great and loving God and very gracious to us. And even when we were sinking in the depths of our sin, that you lifted us up. You came from Calvary to bring us freedom from sin and power to overcome. Lord, we thank you so much. We've been blessed so much also in this country with so many material blessings. Lord, we want to give you thanks. We pray that these offerings and gifts that these people give from their heart will go to the honor and glory of your name and the saving of many souls. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's come to the Lord in prayer.
Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege of coming to you today as the psalmist says and that you spread your ear wide open for us and you hear every prayer of our hearts and of our minds and of our mouths. And we give you thanks, Father God, for the blessings that you poured on us. We thank you for a great country that we have. We pray for the president and the Congress and the judicial branches as they work, Lord. May they hear from our early fathers of this nation of how they desired for this to follow your pattern and not their own. We pray also, too, Father God, for those brave men and women who every day keep us safe, whether it be on foreign soil or even in this own country with fire and police and EMS as they work the streets, and for those great people in the hospitals that are working so diligently, especially among, again, this COVID ordeal. And to the Heavenly Father, too, we want to pray for those in our congregation who struggle. Uh, we think of uh, Lucille, and we think of Mary, and we think of Joyce. We pray also, too, for Howard and his health condition and for his wife and her knee. We pray also, too, Father God, um, um, for um, the families of the Wonka family and the Brown families who have such grief and sadness in their hearts. But what hope we have, knowing that uh, our loved ones are with you, Jesus, and that you can know for certain that we'll see them again. But Lord, in the meantime, I know there's sorrows and sadness and griefs and heavy burdens sometimes we get because of the thoughts of missing them here on this earth. I pray also to Father God for... Uh, the Nicholson family as uh, that fire yesterday took Deb's life and for the family and the husband and the children, Lord, I just pray that you'll bring them comfort and strength. We pray also about all these things we see in the news of violence and murders and people getting shot. We thank you, Lord, for the healing for those um, young people that were shot at uh, East High School and for the little baby that was under the mower. Um, that We pray for her healing too. And, Lord, there's other things on our mind, people that we're thinking about, people that we know that struggle. Uh, we lift them up to you, Lord, by name. You know the name, and you know the situation. Please hear our prayers. And now, Father, we just pray as we come to you in your word, help us to hear what you have to say and understand what needs to be said changed in our life and fixed things that need to be different thank you christ for giving us your word and your holy spirit to make it come alive to our hearts and it's through jesus christ we pray this amen there was a young pastor who was uh, just was about ready to graduate seminary and he went out looking for different churches and um, he was invited to a church back east and his wife and him went and they pre he preached there, and then they had a meeting afterward, and they interviewed him and talked about his teachings. And uh, they were kind of, uh, kind of laughing and kind of saying, well, you'll, you'll learn, you'll see. And um, he wanted to let them know that he believed that the gospel of Jesus Christ can change lives, and they were going to go out there and try to do that and raise people up to do that. And when he took the call to the church, uh, what was portrayed to him as this loving group, all of a sudden changed. And uh, there were some people who uh, he knew there was a problem there already when he had his installation service because there were two punch bowls. There was one that had a little bit more extra stuff in it than that he was used to going into his, uh, from his background. And then... <clears throat> 
Uh, also, there began to be problems in the congregation. One of the problems was when he preached his third sermon, his vice president of the board came up to him and said, you've got to quit talking about Jesus Christ and about this born-again stuff because uh, that's not going to fly here. And then <clears throat> another one uh, later on who he realized he was having a problem with was because he was in competition with a guy who was older than him, and it was his, this fellow's older daughter's age, and he wanted her uh, he wanted the fellow to get the pastorate so his daughter maybe had a chance of marrying this pastor. Well, that was kind of not a good deal. And it got even to be a bigger problem because this fellow worked on his car in the church parking lot and nobody wanted to deal with the guy. And so they said, Pastor, would you tell him he needs to move that car? And uh, the pastor did, but it just created more tension with him and the fellow. And then one day the, the, the fellow came out of church and he said, Pastor, I'm not going to come to your church anymore. I'm quitting the board. And he said that um, you're naive and you've got to grow up and that, um, this, um, that there's many ways to get to heaven. Jesus, Buddha, Moses, uh, any one of those is going to get you to heaven also or, or Allah. And he said, you're just a very naive guy. You haven't been around the block. So anyway, he tendered his resignation and some went back to him from the board and asked him to come back. And he said, as long as that pastor is there, I'm not coming back to that church. Well, the pastor stayed there and thanked the Lord that he kept his head in the word of God. His wife was very supportive and there were many friends who sympathized with him and encouraged him. And what happens to a church when they don't believe the word? And they miss out on what God has given to that church was turned around. And it was amazing what God did with especially the younger people in that church. And today John is speaking about that in the churches down in Southeast Asia. He had already written the book of Revelations. And John the Apostle wrote that. And there were seven churches mentioned there. Five of them were having problems with this. And especially a group from Plato's dualism called uh, Gnostics. And the word Gnosticism means that they knew everything. They had a special knowledge. Well, <clears throat> it comes from Plato's dualism, and it was touching the philosophy and theology of that group. And one of the things that the Gnostics believed, that Jesus was just a phantom, that he really didn't come into the flesh. And John sets the record straight right off the back and said, the incarnation of Christ, he came physically to experience what we experience, to represent us and to die for our sins. But also, they believed that the body was divided, that you have your body, and you could do whatever sin you want to because it doesn't affect your soul. And John said, no, that's not what is reality. And people, he wanted people to know how they could know that they are Christians, how they could know that they are saved. And in this book, there are a hundred verses in the five chapters that it is, and out of a hundred verses, there are 40 times it says that you will know. John wants us to know that we're saved and that God has us. And so the first thing he does, he says, you want to know if you really have Jesus in your heart. If you really believe in him, there's three tests he gives us right off the bat. And he'll give us some other tests later on. But the number one test, he says, is your moral tests. 
He says, by this you will know that you have come to know him if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I have come to know him, it does not keep his commandment is a liar. And the truth is not in him. Whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God, has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself walk in the same manner as he walked or as Jesus walked. And so John gives us this first, this moral test. Later on, he's going to give us a social test. And later on, he's going to give us a doctrinal test. But right now, in this four verses, he's going to give us the test of the moral test. And it's very simple. And we don't have to say we think we're Christians or that maybe we might be Christians. We can know by this first test is that we obey the commandments and we keep them. One of the things that happens is uh, John is saying here, I haven't changed anything. The commandments are the same. They're eternal. God created them for us. And so therefore, we need to know. And if you need to know, this is one of the first things you know that your heart has changed. And when you're following God's way and not your own. Remember, we talked about sin, the definition of sin. It's, it's spelling gives it away. And it's the letter I in the middle of sin. That's our selfishness and our desire to say, God, I know better than you. I'm going to do my own thing. John says no. And John comes out through the book and continue. And you see these folks thought they knew everything. They had it all. And John says no. He says, if you really want to know if you're saved. In verse 6 he says, if we have fellowship with him and we walk in the darkness, then you're not knowing him. If you say that you have no sin, you're deceiving yourself and you're kidding yourself. You don't know him. If you say that you have not sinned, you're making God a liar. So how can you say you're in him and making God a liar? He says, and you can know if you disobey the commandments, you're a liar in this verse. And then he also says, if you say you abide in him and walk in the darkness, then you're a liar. John wants them to know exactly the truth and the proof in the pudding is whether you're willing to follow Christ in all your life. And obeying the commandment is the key number one thing. The second he begins to say that your assurance of knowing that you know that you're saved is by how you treat the commandments. If you blow them off and you do whatever you want and you think he's going to save you, you are missing the point. He loves you. He died for you. But you have a different heart inside of you right now and, and you're having a false profession in your life. John is writing here and he wants us to know for certain that if you are questioning yourself about your salvation, you can know for certain if your heart is in groove and in sync with Christ because you love him and you want to obey his commandments. I was reading about <clears throat> uh, Dr. Boris Cornfield. Uh, Chuck Colson speaks about it and Alexander Solzhenitsyn really told the story. And Alex, Boris Kornfield was a Russian Jewish doctor in the Soviet Union, in the Stalag, and in the camps, and he was converted to Jesus Christ. And once he became a Christian, he realized that the way he was living, that was not following God's way. In fact, he was the doctor who signed the health certificates to the authorities so that they could legally murder the inmates who were dissident and put them to death. 
And so therefore, when he came to Christ, he realized that was wrong and he wouldn't do it anymore. And then he saw soldiers steal food from hungry peasant prisoners. And he turned the fellow in. And in that case, his conscience was becoming more what Christ wanted. He saw the wrong and stood up for it. And what happened was, is that one night he was ministering unto a man who was dying of cancer. And he led the man to Christ himself as the minister to the fellow. And that night, while he was sleeping, Dr. Cornfield was murdered in his bed because of his commitment to following and obediently following Jesus Christ. We see that today in Afghanistan where there are churches, there are Christians who are being persecuted and killed. This past weekend, I was reading about how not only are they being killed, but some of them, they need to do what they want them to do. So they're keeping them alive. But what they're doing is they're amputating their legs or their arms just to make them sure that they know that they could kill them, but they're to listen and do what they want them to do. Westminster Confession says it so well. He says, Endeavoring to walk in good conscience before him may in this life be certainly assured that they are in the state of grace. When you know that God is living in you because you want to obey what he wants you to do, it comes in obedience. And Dr. Cornfield shows us the example of that, and it cost him his life. Sometimes we know following our faith and trusting God and speaking up for wrongdoing and whatnot is, can become very risky business. As you know as well as I know, there are some people who are denied a promotion. Some people are experience financial loss. Some lose social standing. Some it's find themselves in an inconvenient situation, which they have to. Some stay with marriages because they trust Christ, even in difficult situations, spending time with family. You see, this is the obedience to the commands of God. The commandment tests tells us that there's evidence behind what we believe in. We see that in the commandment test when there's evidence in our life that we're changed inside of our hearts, that we want to do the will of God. There's a new desire for us to want to do the will of God, to love everyone as Christ did. 613 trivial commandments were given in the Old Testament and over a thousand in the New Testament. And Jesus tells us, the Bible tells us, these commands say, be thankful. Be tender-hearted to one another. Be patient. Be of good cheer. Be transformed. Be angry and sin not. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. All these are commands that if we love Christ, we don't even have to think about them because they are in our hearts already. And we have a new desire in our heart because we have Christ inside. We have a new devotion that we're committed to him. And that we're going to walk 300, 180 degrees the different way than what we walked now, we all know that sometimes that's tough, but that's what takes faith. I was reading this past week for the sermon about the Roman emperor Domitian during that time, which John wrote. He was asking his advisor, what's the best way to persecute Christians? He said, do you think it would be great if what I do is I take away their possessions? One advisor said, no, most of them have thrown away their possessions. They're giving themselves totally to Jesus Christ. So that won't affect them. 
Another one said, well, what about, and then he said, well, what about locking them up in solitary confinement? No, that's not going to do it either because they really appreciate the time of spending in prayer and being with the Lord. That's not going to do it. Well, what if I make them persecute them and kill them? He said, no, that's not going to do it either because they're going to enjoy being with the Savior finally because they believe that after you die, they're going to live eternally with Jesus. So that's not going to do it either. And one wise advisor said to him, you know what? The best way to harm a true Christian is make him commit sin. Because sin hurts his heart. Because he has a new devotion to the Lord. And if you make a Christian sin, it hurts him deep inside. And he desires to live for Christ and do what's right in God's eye. You see, that's what God wants. The moral test is if I'm willing to obey God no matter what the cost, that I am committed to him fully and I have this new desire in my heart to live for him the way he desires me to do. Not because I have to. I already have my salvation. I've been saved by Christ. It's whether or not I'm willing to do it. It's like a parent. I've been watching my daughter and my, grand, my son-in-law love their baby. And they just love this little baby. And they're cooing and all over that baby. Now, they're not being forced to do that. They do it because in their heart, they just love that baby. And you do it as a parent because you love that child that God lets you have on loan in this life. And because of that, that comes from within. Well, when we have Jesus in our heart, we have the sole desire to live for him and obey his commandments. You see, and that's the first test. The second test is, is the love test or the social test. John tells us, Beloved, I am writing to you a new commandment to you, but an old one which you have had from the beginning. The old one is the word which you have heard. On the other hand, I am writing you a new commandment to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. And the one who loves his brother abides in light. And there is no cause of stumbling. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Now John is coming here and saying to a true test of whether you really love Jesus is if you love others. In chapter 2 here, he says, this is a commandment that you love other people. In chapter 3, he says, if you've been born of God, you have God's heart in you and you love because God loved you. And that you also love in chapter 4 because he revealed his love to you and he forgave you. So you have this inner desire to love other people. John knew this. John was now known as the apostle of love. But early in his days, he remember, he was called the sons of Bernerges, which was the sons of thunder. He had a terrible temper, and anybody who got in his way, he wanted to take them out. But now, John speaks about God's love. And he talks about love as agape, which is a new Greek word in that day, which means the love of God towards man and to God and to others. 
And then he talks about that spiritual deep love of agape. And then he goes on to phile, which is another Greek word. And this is the tragedy um, with English Bibles, is you don't get the full impact of what the Bible has to say, because a lot of times they always term it love, and it's phile love, which is uh, friendship love. There's agape love, which is God's love. There's storge love, is belonging love. There's eros love, that's sexual love. And they use the same word in the Bible in the English is love. And here he's talking about this agape love that comes and wells up from within us that gives us the love factor that goes beyond what just regular love does. And that the same is the filet love because we love in a dis more in, in, in depth and quality. And that's the beauty about this. When, when he writes this in the Greek, he says it's new. He says not new in time because we were commanded to love each other way back in Genesis already. That's not the, the time element. He says, now that you have the Holy Spirit in your heart, you have a deeper love. A love that goes beyond normal love. A love that's inside you that welds up from within you because the Spirit of Holy Spirit is in you that's going to give you a different way to give quality love to everyone you meet. And we see that on the cross, don't we? We see that in Jesus Christ. Here he is on the cross. And we hear him saying, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And all the wrath of God's wrath on sin is going on Jesus at that point. Not only is he physically suffering, but spiritually now he's getting dumped on all the sin. And what is he doing? He is loving the people in front of him who are gambling for his robe, that are stabbing him in the side, that are spitting at him and giving cat calls. He is still loving them. That's the love that comes to us when we're filled with the Holy Spirit and we love so much more deeply than we could ever have done before. And that's what Christ does for us when we have him in our heart and the love takes on a whole new meaning. James Montgomery says it's so wonderful. He says, first, it's the extent of the love that we have to reach out to others who are not like us. And you see, this is different in the Old Testament days, they only were required to love their fellow Jews. They thought of, and, and you see this in metropolitan areas, especially in New York, where a lot of times they will neglect or they will push aside the Gentile. They even call us goyim. And the only time they ever really want to deal business with us, especially the strict Hasidic Jews, is when we're dealing money. But otherwise, you're just goyim. And they don't want to deal with it. And here, Jesus is saying, through John, that your love takes on a whole different quality. And that you even love those who hate you and reach out to those who don't like you. Those who are different than you. Zacchaeus, when Jesus was walking down the road, the Pharisees had a fit that Jesus said, come down. I'm going to go to your house because he was a sinner. They hated him because he was a turncoat. He was collecting their taxes for the Roman government. And they considered him a turncoat and that he was just a greedy person. And Jesus says, I'm going to your house. But salvation is going to come to your house that day. Because Jesus was a propitiation for the whole world. He covers over everybody's sin. Not just the Jew but the Gentile and anybody who wants to come to home. 
And he says, then too, our, our, our love will go to great lengths when we deal with people. We're willing to go the extra mile to love somebody. And that we understand that degree of our love has taken on a whole new context when we have this genuine love of Jesus in our hearts. We are open to anybody. I've seen it before. So in the church, we had a woman that would come and she had all these scabs and sores over her. And many people just want to avoid her, not even. And Pastor Dave, one person said, why don't you tell them not to come? Because she's so unsightly. And she would sit right in the front row. I said, no. Jesus loves her too. And I would hug her in front of these people. Why? Because that love that Jesus calls us to, to go deeper and to be genuine and not just throw people to the side because maybe they don't fit into our category. See, that's what Jesus did. And what we find here, Jesus, through John, is saying, if you hate somebody, now hate's a strong word, but John writes that if you really hate somebody, if you lack love for them, you, you lack sensitivity and sympathy for them because of what has happened or what they've done, then you don't understand my commandment. And Jesus says to us, we're to love them and we're to even demonstrate it by our actions to love them and to care for them and to do so. I mean, uh, sometimes I even see people who don't love. We have a, we've had so many good examples in our congregation of people who went beyond and loved their mates or loved their children way beyond because they loved them in Christ and they wanted the best for them. I was reading a beautiful story of a guy by the name of Robertson McQuinlan and his wife Muriel. They met in college at Columbia Bible College and as they got going along, they were married in 1948. And the next uh, three decades, they raised six kids and they uh, just loved each other and they spent 12 years on the mission field. And then he was called back and interviewed and wound up becoming the president of this, semin uh, this uh, Bible college. And for 12 years um, and, and for 20 some years, he did serve as that Bible college president. But then in 1981, Muriel was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. And it was hard to believe this young, energetic, creative, wonderful person. Her brain was dying. And Robertson was the president, and it was demanding of his bull's time, and his wife now was going to need more and more of his time. And this watching his wife continue to go downhill was so hard. And it moved him to the point where he had to make a decision. Do I continue with my career and hire somebody to be with Muriel? Or do I retire, which I can, and care for her needs? And in 1990, nine years later, he retired. And he made the choice to give her his undivided attention. Because you see what was happening to her. She was getting paranoid and fearful. This is part of what happens to a person with Alzheimer's. And she was able to recognize him and she always held 
this desire in her heart of she would say he she loved him and that he knew that she loved him and he loved her and but she began to he began to see her getting terrorized when he was not around she could only trust him and she would walk to school sometimes not thinking that she didn't have shoes on but with her bare feet and she would go even in the cold. And one day he wound up taking her shoes off and he saw her feet were cracked and bloody. And because she would walk on the bare concrete sometimes or that she would wear shoes and they would get wet because she was looking for him. She was afraid. <clears throat> and so what he did he decided, he said, I'm going to retire. And somebody said, well, how come you made that decision to retire? You, we need you. He said, I made a commitment 47 years ago to love and to cherish in sickness and in health to death do his part. We've seen that in this church this past year. Of people who stood by their loved ones and went for years ministering to them because they had the love for their loved ones and because the love of Christ surrounded them and even when things got tough, they had Jesus together to carry them. And he loved her right up until the day the Lord took her for many more years. And he said, I, they said, was it a burden? He said, no, because you see, I loved her because she loved me so many years. And she was always so precious to me. Jesus enabled Robertson to love his wife. And today, God is coming to us through the word of God. And he's asking us, look at your love. How does it look? Do you love like Christ loves? When you sin against somebody... Do you go to them and ask them for forgiveness? Do you love them that much that you're willing to admit you were wrong? Is your love strong enough that when somebody hurts you and does nasty things to you and even meant it, are you willing to say, I forgive you and I love you? Even when they don't want forgiveness that day, are you willing to love on that level? Are you ever able to demonstrate your love that may cost you time? It may cost you a deal. It may cost you your integrity. It may cost you your reputation. Are you willing to demonstrate that love and go the distance the way Christ would? And then finally, John comes and talks about our consistency. He asks us the question, and he talks about different levels of Christianity. You know, there's some who just came to Christ, and they have a certain love level with Christ. Then he talks about those who've been around for years as Christians and their love level. And then there's also those who are just middle-aged, who've got the strength and the power. And how's their love level? Everybody's at a different state. And John says, I am writing to you, little children, because your sins have been forgiven for your, his namesake. I'm writing you fathers 
because you know him who has been from the beginning. I am writing you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I'm writing to you, children, because you know the Father. I have written to you, fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. I've written to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. John is speaking to the young ones. He's speaking to the ones who've been around for a long time and have known Christ most of their lives. He's speaking to the middle-aged men who still have the energy to fight and be strong and have overcome the evil one and overcome their evil temptations. He's speaking to them also. And what he's saying here, how consistent are you? Are you at the level that you need to be? You've been in the Lord how long and you still haven't dealt with this and brought it over to my lordship? To young folks, are you trusting Christ for your forgiveness and not your own works? You middle-aged men, are you trusting Christ and doing what he wants you to do and living the kind of life he wants you to? Is your friends around you seeing a consistency? I was reading about Arnold Palmer this past week. And they were saying that there was so much respect for him because of the quality of life that he shared. I remember as a young man, <laughs> when I was in junior high, I had a certain language for junior high school in the hallways and on the ball field. And then on Sunday morning, I had a different language for Sunday morning. And then when Christ changed my heart, that all changed. My language went. And I began to see my dad who walked with the Lord. I don't even think I've ever heard my mother or father curse. And that really hit me. And I realized how wrong I was by the language and how Jesus needed to help me change that. It's amazing. Arnold Palmer, nobody said they ever heard him curse. And that he was always a very respectful, the most respected on the PGA. And that when he came into a golf house and he saw guys with their hats on, he said, men, we're in the golf house, golf club. Please take your hats off. And everybody would. You know, it's amazing what you can pass on to your grandchildren or to your children by the way you act. <laughs> I'll never forget one day I was on chaplain duty and I had my black collar on. And I stopped at McDonald's down here at uh, Dugan Road in 54. And I sat down, I had a, a, a burger and a fries and a Coke. And all of a sudden, this mother comes in with her children and she gets them all set up right across from me. She smiles to me and says, hi, father. And I don't want to say that I wasn't her father, but um, she smiled at me. And then her little boy had his little, uh, little uh, what do they call it, meal, happy meal. And he pulls out the plastic bag with the toy in it and he lets out a four-letter word. And his mother said, Johnny, don't say that. She said, Mom, you always say that. <laughs> well, caught with the goods in the handbag. Well, you see, that's one of the things that God calls us to, to be different. 
be changed and that we live that way of life. That's the consistency test. Charles Sheldon wrote a wonderful book back in the 1800s from Topeka, Kansas, known as the book is In His Steps. And it talks about this story about how we're to walk like Jesus in our lives. And what had happened was there was a golfer by the name of Payne Stewart who had a reputation of being very self-centered, arrogant, and like a prima donna for years. And then one day, a friend shared to him about his eternal life and how Payne needed to give his life to Jesus Christ because if he didn't, he would die and go to hell. And Payne took it serious. And that day, he asked Christ to come into his life. And they said that they could not believe the change in Payne Stewart. And then they noticed that in 1999, a few years later, he won the U.S. Open. And they said there was a picture, and they saw in the picture that he had his trophy, but there was a plastic thing around it, says. And here it was the very thing that came out of Charles Sheldon's book called WWJD. What would Jesus do? And that he wore that for the rest of his career. And four months after he won the U.S. Open, his plane took off from Florida on his way to Texas. But the oxygen pressure in the cabin dropped. And everybody in the plane fell asleep because of lack of oxygen. And the autopilot was on. And Payne Stewart's plane wound up. They finally found it crashed in South Dakota. And here... Payne Stewart, when that oxygen stopped and when his heart stopped, he went on to be with Jesus because he loved the Lord and that he was in Christ and he was living the way Christ would want him. Let's pray together. Jesus, we need your help. We love you and we want to exemplify it. We want to live it every day and we want to show it. Lord Jesus, fill us with your Holy Spirit as you promised to do and help us to live your commands and to love people as we should and to be consistent in our lives walking with you, Jesus. Bless this congregation, Lord, as they leave here today. Use them for your glory in whatever they do and may they be obedient May they be loving and consistent in their lives, Jesus. In your name I pray. Amen. Please rise for the benediction and we'll sing our closing song. Today we're going to close with our benediction coming from Joshua. Joshua 1.9. Joshua told this to the people of Israel as they were ready to go into the promised land and take it. He said, be strong and be courageous. And do not fear.
because the Lord your God goes with you wherever you go. Amen.